This podcast is brought to you by The City Church in Mississauga, Ontario. For more information, please visit thecitychurch.ca. We hope you are encouraged by this message from Dr. Coulter. Thank you, Lord, that the Holy Spirit unveils and unfolds and reveals your word to us. I ask you tonight to live big in us. May our tongue be the pen of a ready writer, our minds attuned to your word. And Lord, we ask you that we don't do any violence to your word. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. All the people said amen. amen. We're going to start tonight on lesson number two, which is healing in the Old Testament. And I pretty well uh, got it down for you. So what I'd like you to do, instead of just looking at your notes, if you'd pay more attention, and then write something in the margin that, that you hear that makes a difference or adds to your theological understanding of healing. So we notice... We notice that in the Old Testament, that there's healing all the way through, not just in the New Testament. For example, in Genesis chapter 20, verse 17, it says, Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, and also healed his wife and female slaves, so that they bore children. In Exodus 15:26, the last part of that verse, for I am the Lord that healeth you. That was one of the names of God, Jehovah Rapha, the Lord healer. Notice James 1:17. Now something's going to come up today, I believe, that when we get to what faith is, that your faith will not work unless you understand the character of God or the will of God. You're only going to understand the will of God as you read through the scriptures, meditate on who God is and what his character is. So your faith will not work unless you know the will of God, the will of God for this, the will of God for that, the will of God for something else. What is the will of God? So I've always said over the years, 55 years of preaching, I'm still going to keep saying it. Find the scripture that covers your case. Whatever it would be. Healing, finances, some kind of need that you would have, relationships, whatever the need is. Find out what God's will, because God's will is his word. Find out what his word says about that particular thing. That means that that's his will, and then your faith can kick in based upon the word of God. James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. The word variation is a Greek word which means not even slightly, not even a slight change. If he was Jehovah Rapha 2,000 years ago, 
or 5,000 years ago. He's Jehovah Rapha today. Jesus being God, would be this, it would be the same thing. The will of God, the will of Jesus, as you recognize, you look through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the will of Jesus was to heal people. Also, it's very interesting that in the Old Testament, in the ceremonial law, the law had principles and the law had ceremonies. In the ceremonial law, you see Jesus depicted. The ceremonial law many times is a type of Christ on the cross. For example, in Leviticus 14, 3 to 7, I'm going to read that. And the priest shall go out of the camp, and the priest shall look. Then if the case of leprous disease is healed in the leprous person, the priest shall command them to take for him who is to be cleansed two live clean birds and cedar wood and scarlet yarn and hyssop. And the priest shall command them to kill one of the birds in an earthenware vessel over the fresh water. And he shall take the live bird with the cedar wood and the scarlet yarn and hyssop and dip them and the live bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the fresh water. He shall sprinkle it seven times on him who is to be cleansed of the leprous disease. Then he shall pronounce him clean and shall let the living bird go into the open field. So the cedar wood, the cedar wood there, is in the mind of the children of Israel in those days, the cedar wood was free from corruption. So here's the leper free from leprosy. Then you have the scarlet thread, red in color, which represents two things, really, the sinfulness of the leper and the blood of Christ. The hyssop is a fragrant smell so this is, we would be, we could say the fragrant smell of health versus to replace the leper's ill scent of sickness and disease. The dead bird is a type of the crucified Christ. The live bird is a type of the resurrected Christ, which provides healing for our bodies as it did for the leper. Another type of bodily healing and what Christ did on the cross, which was really manifested in the Old Testament, is also found in the story of the ceremonial rite of the Passover lamb. Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. Remember this phrase. There is no redemption without a lamb. There's no redemption without a lamb. John said of Jesus in John 1.29, Behold, John 1.29 is not in your notes, Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. No redemption, either in the Old Testament or the New, without a lamb. Exodus uh, 
7, Exodus 12, 7 through 3. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they ate it. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague shall befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Verse 8. Exodus 12, they shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with the unleavened bread and bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Now, in the whole context of that type of Christ, the blood saved them from the wrath of God, the same as the blood of Jesus saves us. The flesh is eaten for their physical bodies, which depicts the whole idea that Christ died and took our physical sicknesses so that we wouldn't have to bear it. It's like what is found in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. And I always find, the, I always find that the types of the Old Testament are so precise, it's very interesting. Notice in Numbers 9.12, when this is talking, in this whole context, is talking about the Passover. It says, they shall leave none of it until the morning, that is, the, the, the meat, nor break any of its bones, according to all the statute, for the Passover they shall keep it. But that's exactly what happened to Jesus. John 19.31-33, since it was the day of preparation... And so the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day. The Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken, the two men uh, being crucified with Jesus, one on the left and one on the right, that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. The, the, the preciseness of these types are amazing. Psalm 105:37. He brought them forth also with silver and gold, and there was not one feeble, sick, or weak, which that, that's, that word is kashal in the Hebrew, not one feeble or one sick person among their tribes. Now, the other thing that I want to mention to you, and I think that this is in your notes as precise as possibly. Let me just quickly check. Yeah, so it's there, but so, so listen then to this. And I will read some scripture. <clears throat> as far as the New Testament is concerned, we'll get to that scripture in a second. You have been redeemed from the curse of the broken law of God. And in the Old Testament, if you broke the law, uh, sickness would follow. And it's an, amazing, it's an amazing list in Deuteronomy. Um, let me get there. Deuteronomy 28, starting at verse 15. 
the list. It's amazing. So I'll just read that one. I think that one is in your, on the screen. Deuteronomy 28:15. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God or be careful to do his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all of these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. So this is the law, and this is what's going to happen if you don't obey. Curses shall come upon you, curse in the city and in the field, in the fruit of your womb. There'll be confusion and frustration. There'll be pestilence, a wasting disease, fever, Inflammation, drought, blight, mildew. Instead of rain, you'll have dust. Defeated before your enemies, boils, tumors, scabs, itch, madness, blindness, confusion of mind. Oppressed, robbed by others continually. You build a house, but you will not dwell in it. Somebody else will. Your sheep shall be given to your enemies. Your sons and your daughters will be given to other people. A nation that you have not known shall eat up your fruit. You'll be oppressed and crushed continually. You'll be weak in your knees and your legs with grievous boils of which you cannot be healed. Locusts will be everywhere. The sojourner among you shall rise higher and higher above you, and you shall come down lower and lower. You'll serve your enemies. You'll be in hunger and thirst and nakedness and lacking everything. A nation far away from the end of the earth will swoop down like an eagle and a nation, a nation whose language you, don't know, you do not understand. So I'll I'll skip a whole lot of stuff. Your offsprings will have extraordinary affliction. And all the diseases that are in Egypt, of which you were afraid, they shall cling to you. Then verse 61 says, Every sickness also and every affliction that is not recorded in the book of this law, the Lord will bring upon you until you are destroyed. Now that is the curse of the law. And that is what you are redeemed from. And if you, if in the list that I gave, you can, you can name all other kinds of diseases that are around today, those are covered in being redeemed from the curse of the law because it says in verse 61, every sickness also and every affliction that is not recorded in the book of this law, the Lord will bring upon you. So every sickness and every disease that's not recorded there, you're redeemed from. Now, can you think of other sicknesses that I didn't mention? Anybody want to? Cancer? What's it? Diabetes, you say? Anybody else got any? Alzheimer's? I don't know about you, but I'll never have Alzheimer's. How about you? Well, you should say it out of your mouth. (laughs) 
I don't know about you, but I'll never go nuts. Madness was one of them, right? I'll always be sound of mind. What about you? So you are redeemed from the curse of the law. Galatians 3, 13 and 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by being a curse for us. For it is written, curse everyone who is hanged on a tree so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. You never have to worry, you guys, will never have to worry about breaking the law, the curse of the law. You never have to worry about that because Christ has fulfilled the law for us and he dwells in you. Now, if that's not in your notes, you should write that down. You never have to worry about it. You are redeemed from the curse. Christ has been a curse for us and he, he got the victory because he never broke the law and he's on the inside of you. So you never have to worry about breaking the law of the old covenant because Christ was fulfilling the law for us and he dwells in us. We are redeemed from the curse of the law. Now we go over now to the next lesson, lesson number three. And one of the issues that come up uh, in dealing with this subject and one of the seminaries that I went to, one of the things that they thought was true was that healing went out of the church after the apostles died. In other words, the apostles lived, you know, up to some, maybe some as late as 80 uh, AD. Uh, that's, not, that's not bothering me, by the way. Children, I had two. Um, they so they said, well, you know, and and in the churches that they were pastoring, some of those professors or the churches they were brought up in never saw anything about healing because it never was preached. So they just assumed that healing died after the apostles died. But you, you, if you look into history, and this is what I've done for you, look into history in terms of some of the major writers of the, of, of the, the, the church. For instance, you've got there, uh, the first one I think is, uh, is it Clement? Clement of Rome? What? Justin Martyr. Oh, yeah, Justin Martin. Okay, so um, the numberless demonics throughout the whole world and in your city, many of our Christian men exercising them in the name of Jesus Christ who was crucified under Pontius Pilate have healed and do heal, rendering helpless and driving possessing devils out of men, yada, yada. So that's Justin Martyr who uh, was one of the great writers and historical Christians, leaders. Irenaeus, who lived when 
125 to 200. Notice it says there, his disciples receiving grace from him to do his name, perform miracles. They do truly cast out devils. Others still heal the sick by the laying on of hands and so on. Origen. Uh, Origen was a Christian theologian, a prolific writer. Uh, he, was, uh, he was very influential in the early church. Others still heal the sick by the laying on of hands. Marvelous powers of, by cures, grievous calamities, and distractions of mind and madness and countless other ills which could be cured neither by men nor devils. He was telling them that these things are happening. Clement of Rome, one of the bishops of Rome, I guess we could say a pope, he says, uh, ordered words of learning but near the end there, but as men who have received the gift of healing confidently to the, to the glory of God. Theodore of Mobsueste, many heathens among us are being healed by Christians, from whatever sickness they have. <clears throat> I remember reading stuff about him, and uh, I remember one time I had opportunity in a bank, in a manager who was sick, to lay hands on him and ha- have him receive healing. And I have no clue whether he was a Christian. Didn't sound like one, but he may have been. But when I said, could I lay hands on you and pray for you, uh, he said, I've got nothing to lose. So I guess he wasn't uh, necessarily a man of faith. But anyway, he, he was healed. So God will heal people who aren't saved, by the way. Confession of the Waldenses. These people, these people were around all from about the 4th century to 5th century to the 12th century. They were, their leader was uh, Emerson Waldo. They were pretty well persecuted, so by the time the 12th, 13th century came along, they were, weren't in and around. But in the last part there, it says, we'll be healing and profitable, anointing with oil, and, and, and all of that. And then, and then Nicholas Zander. Now, I made a little jump there, but I could use Martin Luther in 1545. <clears throat> you don't have this in your notes. Martin Luther was asked one time, what could be done for somebody who is mentally ill? And this is what he said, let me quote. This is what we do, and that we have been accustomed to do for a a cabinet maker who was similarly affected with madness, and we cured him by prayer in Christ's name. So Martin Luther in 1545 was also praying for the sick. And Nicholas Zen Zenzendor lived from 1700-1776. To believe against hope is the root of the gift of miracles. I owe this testimony to our beloved church. The apostolic powers are there manifested. We have had undeniable proof thereof in the unequivocal discovery of things, persons and circumstances, which could not humanly have been discovered in the healing of maladies in themselves incurable, such as cancers and consumptions. When the patient was in agony of death, all means of prayer or, or of a single word. 
Then Dr. A.J. Gordon, who was responsible for uh, Gordon-Conwell Seminary in Boston originally, he said, two streams of blessings started from the personal ministry of our Lord. A stream of healing and a stream of regeneration. The one for the recovery of the body and the, and the other for the recovery of the soul. And these two flowed on side by side through the apostolic age. It is quite reasonable to suppose that the purpose of God was that one should run on through the whole dispensation of the Spirit and the other should fade away and utterly disappear with a single generation. We think not. In other words, he's saying that there's two streams, uh, salvation and healing coming from the cross. And so he says... One is not going to pass away and the other still remain. And then there's modern miracles. I have a couple written down there. Or miracles that I have personally seen. Uh, in my lifetime, I've seen people walk out of wheelchairs. I've seen the deaf healed, the blind see, gross disappear. I saw one evangelist, and this, this would be with the gift of faith in the, in the list of gifts of the gifts in, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The gift of faith could be called the gift of special faith. This is not ordinary faith. But this lady comes up and she has a, a tumor on her face and it was protruding out. He took, he took his finger, he put his finger on that tumor and he twisted the thing off in the name of Jesus. She didn't even flinch. I, I, I was flinching, you know what I mean? But he just went, hmm, and it came out in his hand, and there was all fresh skin underneath it. That, that's what you call a miracle. That's not a healing, but, you know, it's, it's by faith. Things happen. So in my lifetime, I've been fortunate to see all kinds of things, and I told you one of my testimonies before. I had another one that came to my mind as I was studying uh, today. Esther and I were... Uh, I don't know what year this was when we went over to teach in, it, in Italy in the Bible school. You remember the year? We went twice, first time. 90-something? 80? I don't know, it doesn't matter, I guess. So the day, bef- the day before, uh, I used to run a lot, ran in marathons and all that sort of stuff. And I fell and sprained both of my wrists and you, if anybody's ever sprained an ankle or wrist, you know the pain? It's almost worse than a break. And it's painful. I couldn't carry the suitcases. And Esther had to carry the suitcases, which I really enjoyed. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and the, the carry-ons and all this. And so we got in sit, sit, seated. And, you know, they're starting to swell a little bit. And it was sore. And um, so I said, Father, you know, I'm going over here to teach your word for a week in the Bible school. And I'm going to go over without these, this pain in my, in my wrists. And I expect healing in the name of Jesus. So I lay hands upon myself, and Esther prayed. And I said, Father, I'm going to go to sleep now, ache up. Praise God, I thank you that these, these, uh, this pain will be gone and my wrists will be fine. So I went to sleep. Esther said I was snoring. It was a little bit embarrassing on the plane. And I woke up, oh, about 4 o'clock in the morning, and all the pain was gone, 
and the wrists were healed. So when a person says to me, I'm not sure about healing in the New Testament, it's too late to talk to me about that. I don't care what professor said it. It's just not true. God, and you, so what I'm trying to point out to you is that all the way through the, the, the life of the church, people were laying hands on the sick. In some churches, of course, they have forgotten about it, but that doesn't mean that it's, that, that it's not in the Bible. And remember, I've always said to you that you don't create a theology based upon experience, even if my, even if my, Risks weren't healed, I would still believe in healing. The reason I do is because the Word of God absolutely teaches it. And there's no getting around it. It doesn't matter what you do. If you uncover every rock, and this is what I'm trying to do a little bit, we find that healing is available to us. Now, in your next lesson, it's a lesson on faith, um, I'm going to drop down to page 13. Page 13 says, what is faith? Got it there? It's page 13 in my book. Page 17 in your book? Okay, that throws all my stuff out here. How could it be 17 in your book and 13 in mine? Anyway, okay, have you got it where it says, what is faith? All right. So now we're saying, we're saying uh, a little bit like faith and healing go together. Faith is not going to work. Oh, uh, 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 I won't get ahead of myself here. So we're going to read Mark 11, 23 and 24. Now, this is the classic statement by Jesus on the subject of faith. He made other ones, but this is the, I would say, it's the piece de resistance. It's the classic. Mark 11, 23 and 24. <clears throat> Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, oh, yeah, I should mention this to you. It's, it's uh, in case all Greek scholars today are saying that the two best translations from the Greek language is either the King James, which has all the these and the thous, or the Revised Standard Version. And I think that's what we gave you guys, didn't we? Revised Standard Version? Yeah. Yeah. English Standard Version. English Standard Version, sorry. ESV, English Standard Version, is the two best scriptures, two best uh, Greek translations that we have. So, Mark 11, 23, 24. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, like in his spirit, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him, Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Now, I want you all, is, is this, everybody turn to that scripture in your book, in your Bibles. Mark 
Now, when we talk about faith, remember, we're talking about faith in God's word. So everybody got it? Okay, let's all read it together. Ready, read. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says, Now faith is the assurance. Notice faith. Now faith, you could put in brackets, in God's word, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence or the conviction of things not seen. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is the evidence or the title deed, you could say, to things not seen. Faith itself, in God's word, is your evidence that you're healed, that you have received healing. A piece of paper you would have a piece of paper. If you owned your own house, mortgage-free, you have a piece of paper, you have the title deed to that. That's the evidence and proof that you have your own home. This is what the Bible is saying about faith in God's word. It is the evidence that you have received healing for whatsoever, verse 24, you read it, Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it. You could say, believe that you have received it in the face of contradictory circumstances, in the face of symptoms still still evident, in the face of contradictory circumstances that you have received it, and after that, it will be yours. You, You will actually experience it. So faith would have to say something. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and not doubt in his heart, but believe those things which he says, he shall have whatever he says. Whatever things you desire, when you pray, believe, receive them, you shall have it. So faith has to say something. Say that with me. Faith has to say something. Say it again. Say it again. Faith is believing in your heart and saying something. Believe in your heart, say it with your mouth. Believe in your heart, say it with your mouth. My mother lived to 94. 94, Esther? 94. 94. I couldn't get her to get this. Couldn't get her. I tried to get her to get it. And she lived a good age. And so, you know, I would, she would, she'd get sick or whatever, and I'd go and pray for her, and then I'd read this scripture, and she'd say, I am not saying that until I'm healed. Until I actually see it and feel it, I'm not saying it. Why would I say it? That's stupid. 
I says, because the Bible tells you you need to do that, mother. Well, she still lived to 94, so I guess, you know. But I couldn't get her to see the faith life, so to speak. So faith says something, okay? Faith says, whatsoever things you desire when you pray, this is number, this is Mark eleven twenty four. Whosoever stand, whatever you, whatsoever you ask in prayer, believe that you receive it right then, and then you'll have it. Believe that you have it before you see it, and then you'll see it. Healing says it's mine. I have it now. Remember I read to you that scripture in Hebrews 11.1? Now, faith is, or faith is now. That's doing no violence to the word there. Now faith is, or faith is now, that you believe you receive it, and then you still have it. The Moffat's translation of Hebrews 11.1 is, reads like this. Faith means we are convinced that we have what we do not see. Remember I said healing last week? I talked about healing. Or the week before I talked about healing starting in your spirit first. <coughs> Moffat, faith, faith means we are convinced that we have what we do not see. Now, you might want to write these down that I'm going to say to you now. It's not in your notes. It's impossible. I'll, I'll do it slowly. It's impossible to boldly claim healing from God if his will is not known. I'll read it again. It's impossible to boldly claim healing from God if his will is not known. So people who don't know the word of God are at a tremendous disadvantage. So if I, I would say this, if you're here tonight and you've got something wrong with you, get in to the word. Turn over every leaf when it comes to healing. When my wife and I got a hold of this in 1982, we started to t turn over every leaf of the scriptures on every situation in our life. Our relationship, <clears throat> our children, their education, their calling, healing, finances, everything. And we found out that God cares about everything about you. So Mark eleven twenty four. well... I'm going to give you some more statements. Impossible, I just said this, impossible to boldly claim healing from God if his will is not known. His will is his word. Something else. Write it down. The power of God 
can only be claimed if the will of God is known. The power of God can only be claimed if the will of God is known. Another one. Faith begins where the will of God is known. Faith begins where the will of God is known. One more. Faith rests on the known will of God alone. Faith rests on the known will of God alone. If you don't know the will or the word of God, faith is not working and not resting. You have to be convinced that this is what God is and who he is and this is what his will is. And then hold fast your confession. Isn't that what Jesus said? Isn't that what the book of Hebrews says? Hold fast in the face of contradictory circumstances. Another thing to consider, I'm going to ask you to turn to Romans chapter 12, verse 3. This is not in your notes, right, right here in this section. Romans 12, 3. Everybody there? For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, I was talking to Christians, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Now, it doesn't say you shouldn't think highly of yourself, by the way. It says you shouldn't think more highly than you ought to. But you actually should think highly of yourself. So if you don't think highly of yourself, the devil will beat your brains out. The world will beat your brains out because you don't think you deserve anything. You've got to think highly of yourself, just not too highly because you get then conceited. Not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. Each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Every Christian has Faith. You all start out at the same level. You have a measure of faith. So that means <clears throat> that faith is measurable. Write this down in Matthew chapter 8, 
centurion came to Jesus, you know, about his uh, servant. And uh, Jesus said, well, I'll go where he is. No, the centurion said, no, you don't have to go. Just say the word. Jesus said of him in verse 10, great is your faith. So you can have great faith. In Matthew 14, Peter, he starts out walking on the water. And then the, things got a little choppy and a little boisterous, and he started to sink. And Jesus said in verse 31, O you of little faith. He was, on, he was doing pretty good until he started looking around at what was seen, and then his faith wavered, and doubt came in. And by the way, while I'm on it, faith will work in your heart with doubt in your head. Because you can have all kinds of stuff going on in your brains. I mean, you can have every thought the devil will give you thoughts. Society will give you thoughts. You'll have your own thoughts. I believe for stuff that my, my mind just went tilt. But I knew it was the word of God. So I don't care what my mind says. I just had to learn how to keep those thoughts down. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, it says cast down all thoughts that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God and bring every thought into captivity. And that's not easy sometimes when there's symptoms around. If you're believing God for finances, and if you're believing God for finances and you can't even pay your debts, those debts become like mountains, I'm telling you right now. So I was preaching... I was preaching that God wanted you to be blessed with a hole in my shoe. And one of the preachers on the platform said, I thought you believed that God wanted to bless you. I said, I do. He said, what's the hole doing? You said, I said, don't be moved by what you see. That's a true story. True story. Your, your head can tell you everything. So, in terms of measuring... You can write this down. You can have growing faith. 2 Thessalonians 1.3. You can have weak faith. Romans 4.19. And right at that point, right at that point, the music has begun. And we'll continue right there after five or six minutes. I just want to say that you guys are easy to teach to. Man, it's, you just soak it up. I've taught in places where my words came back and hit me in the face. <laughs> well, you guys really make it a joy. Let's start. We're, we're going through this business of the measuring of faith. So the growing faith, Second Thessalonians 1, 3. Weak faith, Romans 4, 19. Now you understand that God reveals these things to us in the word so that you won't feel condemned 
if you can identify with one of these things. God's not mad at you if you've got weak faith. But he just wants you to know there is such a thing. Then there's strong faith, Romans 4.20. Then there's rich faith, James 2.5. And you can be full of faith, Acts 6.5. Then there's perfect faith, James 2.22. Then there's unfeigned, U-N-F-E-I-G-N-E-D, unfeigned faith in 1 Timothy 1.5. That means real faith. Not pretend. Feigned faith would be counterfeit faith or pretend faith. But there's unfeigned faith, real faith. It could be perfect, it could be full, it could be rich, it could be strong, it could be weak, it could be growing. Then there's shipwreck faith, 1 Timothy 1.19. That would be somebody who, can, who was started out in faith but then stopped and did certain things that would cause their lives to be a shipwreck. Then there's overcoming faith. First John five four. So say these things after me. I desire my faith to be growing. My faith may be weak right now, but I'm moving towards strong faith. My faith is measurable. I desire rich faith. I claim to be full of faith. I desire perfect faith. I will not receive shipwrecked faith. I desire overcoming faith. My faith is measurable. And I desire it to be growing at all times. So Paul, writing to the early church at Thessalonica, said, Your faith is growing exceedingly. How would it grow? How is your faith going to grow? Faith comes by and hearing by. Where is that found? Romans ten seventeen. Faith comes by hearing. and hearing by the word, of God. word of God. So, okay, when Jesus is talking to us here in Mark eleven twenty four, therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, 
Believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Here's what he's saying. Jesus commands us here to believe we have received, in the case we're talking about healing. We have received healing. Jesus commands us here to believe we have received the things we prayed for at the time we prayed without waiting to see or feel it. Let that run through your brain. The scripture is, therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, Mark eleven twenty four, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. So he's commanding us to believe we receive healing. That's the thing we're praying for. At the very time we prayed. Without waiting to see or feel it. And that would be true about God meeting your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. You believe that you receive your needs met before they actually are met. You believe you receive the finances to pay the bill before you have the finances to pay the bill. I know that's a difficult thing. Believe that you receive it. I want you to repeat that scripture again with me. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and then it will be yours. I put then in there. But you're never going to get it unless you believe you receive it. Never going to get it unless you have it first. You're never going to get it. It's never going to come until you believe that you receive it in your spirit. And then your spirit, man, the, the healing will come out and affect your body. Okay, now I'm going to drop down to, and in your page, and I guess I don't know what page you would be, um, the next time Mark eleven twenty three twenty four is the scripture again Shirley is that right yeah so where do you see Mark eleven twenty three and 24 Acting on God's word. what page is that 18 in yours um Have I got down there uh, in, my no- in your notes, we believe the word of others but demand visible proof of God before we believe? Is that there somewhere? Oh, okay. Um, where, where, where is your, what it says, uh, in, in heavy black, acting on God's word? Okay, so... So just at the bottom of that, there's Mark 11, 23, 24. Okay, so then I'm going to do start there. The other stuff is pretty self-explanatory. <clears throat> but it's an interesting thing, isn't it, that we will believe the word of others, but we demand visible proof of God before we believe. We'll believe somebody that says, 
I'm going to take you, I'm going to take you out for lunch next Wednesday. We don't doubt that at all. But if you say, believe you receive it before you have it, when God says it, then somehow we don't believe it. So I'm going to read this Mark 11, 23 and 24 again. For really I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, this problem, this issue, this sickness, whatever, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he says shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he says. Therefore I say unto you, whatsoever things you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. So another way of saying that, first believe you have received them in their invisible form, and then you shall have them in their visible form. Is that down there like that? First believe you have received them in their invisible form, and then you shall have them in their visible form. I don't know how to make it any clearer than that. First, believe in the faith realm and then in the sense realm. First, believe in the faith realm and then it'll come out and you'll believe it in the sense realm. I believed I received healing for my two wrists when they were pain and aching and I took an aspirin to go to sleep. Ah, did you pick an aspirin, Pastor? Yeah, I did. You mean you took an aspirin? Yeah. Because it was sore. That will not stop you from getting healed just because you take medicine. Might keep you alive until your faith works. Ever think of that? (laughs) But then I believed I received it. Praise God. I went to sleep and woke up and was fine. First, you believe you received it. I'm going to go over this again because this seems to be the thing. First, you believe you have it in their invisible form. And then you shall have it in the visible form. First, Invisible, second, visible. Now, this is not in your notes. Many people only use their faith one time in their life. I've experienced this and seen this in 55 years of ministry. Beautiful Christians love God, will go to heaven when they die, live a good life but they've only used their faith once. And that was when they got saved. Look up Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 for me.
For by grace you have been saved through faith. You heard the gospel message. You believed it. Gospel message came. And every time the gospel message is preached, by the way, faith comes to people that are hearing it that aren't saved. Faith comes. You can reject it. Faith goes. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. You use your faith to get saved. Go over to Romans 10, 9, and 10. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, see, that's faith, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. This is why many people never quite experience new birth. They believed it in their heart, but didn't say it. Never were taught to say it. They believe in their heart in Jesus, and then they start asking forgiveness for their sins. You don't get saved by asking forgiveness for your sins. The reason is you can't remember them all. You've been sinning since you got born. You don't get saved by asking forgiveness for your sins. You get saved by confessing Jesus as Lord and believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead and claiming him as your Savior. Then after, if you sin, you can confess your sins. He's faithful and just, First John, to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You don't get saved by asking God to forgive you of your sins because you can't remember them. So when you, got, when you got saved, they believed in their heart and they said it with their mouth. So I want you to go to 2 Corinthians 4.13. 2 Corinthians 4. Make sure you write these down, though. 4.13. So after I made these notes, I realized they were deficient, so I have to add this stuff. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I, here's, the, here's the spirit of faith. I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we speak. Believe in your heart. Say it with your mouth. Believe in your heart. Say it with your mouth. Believe in your heart that you have received it and say it with your mouth. I believe that I receive healing. (coughs) I believe that I receive healing. (coughs) I believe that I receive healing for my knee. I believe I receive whatsoever things you desire when you pray, believe you receive them, and then you shall have them. 
How long will it take, Pastor? I have no earthly idea. Week, two weeks, three weeks, a year, I don't know. That's why the Lord said, hold fast your confession. Hold it fast because there will be all kinds of opportunity to let it go. Okay, we'll just quickly start with the enemies of faith. And the reason we're going so slow in these lessons is your fault, not mine. Because you guys soak it up and then other, whenever I get more thoughts as I'm teaching. <laughs> well, one of the things, the first thing is doubt caused by listening to the devil's lies or listening to your lies. The lies you're telling yourself. I want to go to that scripture that I mentioned a minute ago. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I'll get there. Chapter 10, verse 3, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but, of divine, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty, lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and take every thought captive to obey Christ. In other words, you have, because you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, you have the power to take control of what you're thinking about. And you have to practice this. Your mind can take you off on a thousand different directions. So you learn to captivate. Say, no, I don't receive that thought. No, that's not my thought. My thought is what the Bible says. That's my thought. And say what it says. You might have to do it two or three times a day. But it's worth it when the visible form comes. Take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. I'm not taking that thought. And this is what, Eve, this is what Eve's problem was in the, in the Garden of Eden. She took the thought that the devil said. Well, I guess I'm... It's 22 after. Well, I'll, I'll just read this. Genesis 3, 1 to 7. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had, God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of the, any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. Well, she added stuff there because God never said you couldn't touch it. He just said you couldn't eat it. Well, she got into trouble already. 
But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. There's all kinds of, uh, of, of, of cults that think you're your own God. This, is no, this has been reworked many times. The Gnostics in the first century of which the church had to defend itself believed in secret knowledge that no one ever knew, no one else knew. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate it and she also gave it to her husband, who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened. They were opened all right and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. They become aware. They became aware of sin. So in the Bible, in Revelation, the book of Revelation, the Bible calls the devil the serpent. But this is what happened to Jesus when he was in the when he was in the wilderness. The devil came with thoughts in Matthew four three and four, and the tempter came to him and said to him, "If you're the son of God." See, questioning. Command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered it what? How did he answer it? It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That comes from Deuteronomy 8.3. Do you have that down there, Deuteronomy 8.3? You might want to look that up later. What Jesus said came from Deuteronomy 8.3. He quoted the word of God. This is how you bring down thoughts that exalt themselves against God, against God's word. You, t- you, you replace it with the thought of God. In Matthew 4, 5, and 7, the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. The Lord never said to try to take your own life, to throw yourself down on purpose. But if, you know, if it happens, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, again it is written, you shall not put the Lord of God to the test. That's from Deuteronomy 6.16. I'll end right there, but I will remind, I want to tell you of a story that happened when Esther and I we're driving up north one time. It was in the winter time. This is before the children were born. And I had my mother with me in the back seat because we were going up to see her brother or something in Sturgeon Falls or somewhere. Ottawa, somewhere, I don't know. <clears throat> so we're driving on this slippery road, side of a sort of a crevice of a mountain. The car started to go sideways. I couldn't control it. My mother's sitting in the back seat. She said, Jesus! And the car went, Shoo. My thought was, 
I was driving. I thought, well, how am I going to get this straight? I saw another car over there in the ditch, and I'm thinking, I'm going to be over there in the ditch with my 80-year-old mother. What are we going to do? Blah, blah, blah. All these thoughts going through my head. She just said, because Jesus is called what? The Word of God? In John chapter 1. She said, Jesus! And the car went, shoo! I've had too many things happen in my life not to believe God, is what I'm telling you. And so have you, if you think back. Sometimes God protects us, we don't even remember he's doing it. Sometimes the angels have protected us, and we, didn't, we weren't realizing that it was actually God doing it, because he loves us. Nobody, he has no respecter of persons. So the way Jesus dealt with thoughts was to take the word of God and defeat the devil every time. Defeat the thoughts that are exempt against the word of God. So we'll stop there. Otherwise, Thanks for listening. If you need prayer or would like to share how this message has impacted you, please email info at thecitychurch.ca.